Good morning, my name's Emily. Um, while the kids are heading out, if you want to find our verse or reading for today, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the, sight of, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For if the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Okay, and now welcome Tom up as we listen to what he has to say about that. <laughs> Great. I can, uh, I can tell that you guys are a, a sister church of Maidavale because you've got water up here. Whoever else is coming up, I've gone left. <laughs> Put that back there. Does anybody sit there and you just look up the front and you're just like, oh, I wish I had some water. <laughs> I was. I was just like, man, I can't wait to get up there because I'm thirsty. Also, I want to share the word. <laughs> Let us pray uh, before I do that. Heavenly Father, we pray that you still us and, uh, yeah, as we've sung already, just make us ready uh, to hear your word, uh, that you planned it uh, in a way that uh, helps us to change. Uh, we pray that you change us today by the power of your spirit, that we might be more like your son and serve him in his church. Amen. One of the things that I did when I was uh, in Vanuatu, uh, as I said, was to oversee um, a group of church plants in non-Christian areas. And one day I was visiting uh, one of those church plants, and the chief came to me. Um, and he told me that another church, uh, maybe it was the Mormons or uh, another group, had offered them some incentive to leave us and join them. <laughs> it would have been some kind of material um, offer, like water tanks or something like that, or some kind of other aid. And what the chief wanted to know was, uh, what did I have to offer, wh whether I would match the deal or whether they would go out with the other guys. 
And, uh, and that's kind of his job as chief, uh, to, to, get the, to pull the resources into his community. Uh, now, this was our biggest church plant. There were 350 members in it. Uh, and there I am on the spot. Uh, if I refuse to offer material support, uh, then we stand to lose our church plant and we no longer have the opportunity to preach the gospel to these people. On the other hand, if I do offer material support, and it's, it's always possible to raise money for these things, um, then the people are always going to understand, uh, always going to misunderstand Christianity as a road to materialism and civilization and prosperity. So what do I do? Right, I'm there, I'm standing there, everybody's looking at me. The, the mission worker who's done the hard work to gather these people together is standing there. And what do I do? And this illustrates something about being a Christian and doing the Christian ministry that all of us share. And that is that ministry is full of hard stuff. My situation involved a difficult decision to make, uh, but it also had a relational element to it. Uh, if I didn't do what they wanted, the church would turn their back on me uh, and the mission worker would be very disappointed in me. Even if you've only been around for a short time, I'm sure that you appreciate that being a part of a church plant or being a part of any church is fraught with relational dilemmas. And the reason for that is that what we're doing has such high stakes and such far-reaching consequences. E even the decision to join a small church plant is a big deal. And let's be clear about this. Each one of you guys are a part of Christian ministry. This is not just about Jared and putting him up front. Christian ministry is a team sport and you guys are on the team. And as we're going to see, uh, all this hard stuff and messiness of church isn't a cause to fear and it isn't a cause for paralysing indecision, but rather decisive action based on quiet confidence. Up to the, this point in the letter, this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, it, it doesn't sound like things are going very well for Paul at least not in other people's eyes. And yet, this passage is like a great light of passion and hope amongst murky blackness. And through all this, we see that Paul can do the hard stuff in his ministry because firstly, the high stakes demand decisive action and secondly, because God equips him for the task. So I'm just going to say that again. Paul can do the hard stuff in his ministry because firstly the high stakes demand it and secondly because God equips him for the task. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of ease ourselves into it by looking at Paul's situation and then look at the magnitude of the ministry and then the power of the ministry. So Paul has had to write a hard letter to the Corinthians uh, which hurt him personally because he knew it would hurt them. 
and because he was worried that it would break their relationship with him. And then Paul has sent Titus with the letter, uh, and then he later went to Troas, uh, assumably to evangelise there and to wait for Titus's return, which would bring him news of how his letter went when he sent it to Corinth. Okay? And as it turned out, verse 12 says that the ministry was successful in Troas. Uh, but then in verse 13 we hear that he made the decision to leave. So he had to leave successful ministry because he was anxious to hear the news in Corinth. He's concerned about the Corinthian spiritual well-being and about his relationship with them. And we see this concern for their relationship in uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, Paul isn't um, uh, condemning the idea of, of giving commendations. His letters are full of commendations of other people. The issue is whether or not he needs to re-establish a relationship with them. Is their relationship so broken that he needs to start again with uh, a, another formal introduction? That's what's going on there. And all this shows that there is a lot riding on the situation for Paul. He's so concerned about the break in relationship and the need for repentance at Corinth that he's left valuable ministry behind to get news about this. Now, this doesn't tell us how to choose between evangelistic ministry and church-based ministry. It doesn't tell us whether we should join a church plant or stay in a bigger church. Paul is simply describing what he did for the purpose of expressing to the Corinthians the depth of his concern for them. But notice that Paul is confident in his decision. Not because he justifies that he's got it right, but if you look at verse 14, he is assured that Christ will use him wherever he is. And that is incredibly empowering. When we take ourselves out of the centre and put Christ, if you like, at the head of the procession, if we, when we see that it's not all about, am I getting it right according to God's plan, which is incredibly paralysing, but rather trusting that God is working out his plan through me, that is incredibly empowering. And I need to explain this a little bit more, so here we get into the magnitude of ministry. In verse 14, Paul pictures us as captives in a triumphant procession and Christ is the head of that procession. And then he kind of shifts the metaphor a little bit and he pictures us as kind of spreading the aroma of Christ everywhere. So the picture is that uh, as Christians we're being dragged along in this procession and we are wafting some kind of... some burning incense or something. And like the gospel, this aroma is received differently by different people. So verse 16 says, To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And then Paul says, And who is equal to such a task? Who is equal to the decision of leaving Trias? or even of evangelising there in the first place, who is equal to the task 
of rebuking a church? Who is equal to the task of being an aroma that brings life and death? Because that's what we are. Wherever we go as Christians, life and death is in the balance. When I graduated from Bible college, uh, I went out and did pastoral ministry uh, and they gave me the job of doing the evangelistic talks to the craft group. And that's that church saying that for this time, the ultimate life and death of those people are in your hands. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, craft groups, um, but most of the people there are not in the first two-thirds of their lives. It's 10 years ago, right? It's more than 10 years ago today, and I can still remember the faces of all those people. I can still remember an old lady crying as I spoke about Jesus. And who is equal to such a task with life and death hanging in the balance? I've had friends and, and people in churches who I've had to have hard conversations with about their marriages. Who is equal to such a task? In Vanuatu, I, I got to uh, visit unreached places, places that haven't been evangelised at all. And picture it, like you're, you're underweight and tired and hungry and you have to trek into this place. You go up hills and, and down into creek beds and it's, it's just stunningly beautiful but it's hard going. And you arrive at this village you're welcomed by dancers in their meeting place. And then the chief stands up to speak and you've got no idea what he's going to say. But he gives you permission to, to talk, to speak. And then you turn to the people that you've come with and you tell them to start praying. And they say, why? And you say, because this is where we preach the gospel. And you stand up and you try to take a deep breath because your heart is racing and your head is light. And you're standing there in a clearing in the jungle. That's what it is, a clearing. And it's surrounded by banyan trees with their aerial roots hanging down. And those roots have been woven by the ancestors. And those trees are the place of the spirits that hold them in bondage. And the angels are looking on because right there, life and death are in the balance. And who's equal to such a task? If you look at verse uh, 17, the task is so much harder because we're bound to the authentic message. It would be so much easier if we could massage the message a bit like advertising. It would be so much easier for Paul if he could just have ignored the immorality in Corinth and just kind of let it slide. It would have been more liked if, if he could have been more understanding, more open to their lived experience. But no, he ministers as one sent from God. And who is equal to such a task? Well, the answer is 
not somebody who is doing it for their own benefit, for their own profit or profit for popularity, not somebody who's doing it to feel comfortable. Uh, when I was just young and uh, not yet a Christian, a cute girl uh, invited me to church. And uh, I went along and uh, they had this uh, student preaching. And he was preaching his first sermon. And, uh, but, you know, I didn't care who was preaching. Um, I was there for the, for the cute girl. Uh, the fact that the girl was cute uh, has nothing to do with this story, uh, other than explaining what on earth I was doing in a church. It has a lot to do with my life, uh, because I ended up marrying that girl. But this guy was preaching from 1 Samuel 16, and it's where Samuel chooses David. Uh, and he says that God looks at people from the outside, that, that we look at people from the outside, whereas God looks at the heart, which is kind of relevant, is kind of relates to what we're saying here. And then the preacher says, he said, sometimes I wonder if this church would be going so well if our pastor wasn't so cool. And that, that all of a sudden, that got my attention because I thought, well, I doubt that your pastor being too cool is your biggest problem right now. But that was kind of naive, wasn't it? See, I didn't understand that there was Christian cool. right? So Christian cool is not the same as cool cool, but it's like the Christian version of cool, right? And that kind of cool is a trap for all of us. Okay, If we're doing ministry... We're living the Christian life as an aroma of life and death. Life and death is in the balance. Then you better not be doing that because somebody thinks you're cool. You better not be doing that for power or for profit. One day you're going to have to do something hard. You're going to have to make a big decision. It might be a friend who's falling into sin. It could be a family man, member who is getting it wrong in their marriage. And it's so easy for us to, to just sympathise with people, to, to shake your head understandingly, to affirm what they want to hear. Being on their side feels safe. But in the background of this passage, Paul has had to step up and speak truth to people who didn't want to hear it. And he does that gently and he does that lovingly as much as he could. But he had to be not cool to do it. He had to sacrifice popularity and he had to risk relationships. And Paul's qualification for writing to the Corinthians the way he did isn't his popularity. It's a, it's a letter that's written on the Corinthians' heart. So if you look at, at uh, chapter 3, verse 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And these human hearts are more literally fleshy hearts. 
The hearts of flesh brought about by the Spirit is new creation language. It's the language of Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel 36. The evidence that Paul is a genuine minister of the new covenant is that the, the Corinthians themselves have new hearts. And that's what, that's what doing Christian ministry is about. It's radical heart surgery. It's taking hearts of stone and making them fleshy. And who is equal to such a task? Now, Paul somehow got uh, sidetracked in his letter from, uh, by qualifying his sincere work, and he didn't immediately answer his own question of who is equal. But he drops the bomb in verses 4 to 6, and this is the power of ministry. He says, Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So as it turns out, we're equal to such a task because we are empowered by God. We're made ministers of the new covenant through the Spirit who changes hearts. And in verse 6 he says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We're not empowered by popularity or profit or the ability to please a crowd, but we speak before God with sincerity. And as we do, and if we do, we can be confident that our words are words of life. It's not like if we're out there evangelising that we're, we're just dropping random words that inadvertently might bring life or, or might bring death as if it's a 50-50 coin toss, as if the ministry of life and death would depend on us. That, that would be a crushing responsibility, wouldn't it? But we speak spirit-empowered words that will do their proper job. So the magnitude of ministry is made manageable through the empowering work of the Spirit. And being a minister of the new covenant brings two things. Firstly, it brings us great responsibility. There's high stakes and we can't shy away from doing the hard stuff, from sharing our faith with those who haven't heard it from bringing people along to church, for, from being tough with our kids to keep them from worldly pressures, from telling somebody that they're sinning and for the love of Christ that they need to stop it. And who is equal to such a task? But secondly... Because we are ministers of life with the Holy Spirit as our helper, being led as captives by Christ, we don't need to be paralysed by indecisions or overwhelmed by these daunting aspects of the Christian life. Rather, we should be confident that we are equal to the task and that true life 
will be born through the words that we speak with sincerity as those sent from God. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is such an honour that you entrust us with your work, that you've given your work to the people of this church. We thank you so much that in doing that, you give us the Holy Spirit, that we may have words of life. We pray for each of us here today that you give us power, uh, that you empower us to do the hard stuff of Christian ministry. Amen.